We're out of place I'm doing fine I'm feeling great You're not my fan You can't relate Straight talk going Stay not safe Before you cross me Look both ways Leaving the scene With no trace Not in my lead You out of place I'm not at the top I'm out of space Can't eat with us We're out of place I'm doing fine I'm feeling great You're not my fan You can't relate Straight talk going State to state What's going on ladies and gentlemen Boys and girls Your host Your boy George Mackay Is back in the Straight Talk Studios And this one's a special one this one is a conversation, but it's also an expose. I'm going to be sitting down with one of my, I guess, I want to say roster members, but I'm not really a member of the roster. I am the commentary team, one half, the better half of the commentary team for New Frontier. And I was honored to call this man's first match back in four years. Incredible. We're going to get into all kinds of stuff about Jesse today. And the one thing I want to let all my fans know is I pride myself on my research. But today, I'm kind of going in a little blind, which is exciting because my reacts are going to be honest real. So without further ado, let me welcome the Bloodstained Hurricane, Jesse Amato, to Straight Talk Wrestling. What's going on, George? Not much, man. Not much. I've been looking forward since you and I have been talking <laughs> and we've been in those New Frontier Facebook groups that the uh, matchmakers so thoughtfully put together for all of us so we could keep in communication. But he really only mm -hmm. throws out tidbits for all of us. Next date, call time. And that's it. We still, none of us have any clue right. who this matchmaker is. Beats me, man. I don't know. Even this Gmail's matchmaker. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I just know they got my money transferred to me, so I don't care. That's it. The check cleared, and it's all good in the hood. So, first right. things first is, I guess my first question is, how did the matchmaker coax you back into the ring after four years, uh, we'll get to why you left. But how did the matchmaker coax you back into the squared circle? Timing. It was the right time. Um, honestly, it could have been anybody at that point. Um, like you're, like we've been saying here, like I was gone for four years, and like we'll talk into a bit later why. But I mean, I was just ready. I was finally at a point in my life at this point in time where like everything's good now. You know, like all the fats cleared, all the fucking shitty people are gone. Um, and just me and my family and my kids. And like, that's what it's all about. And it was, it was just timing. Like I, my kid's a year old now and like, he's pretty much my rock. And like, I always said, like when I walked away in the first place, it was just, I won't go back unless I know that like, I won't go back to this. You know what I mean? Like I had to be completely fine. And like, I'm at that point and like, it was the first phone call and it all happened to be like, Hey, the rock pilot. Okay. And like who you book. And then it's like warhead and fucking Matt cash. I'm like, like, cool. This shit, man. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. Everything's cool. Like, all right. Let's do it. Here we are. Here we are. And what a match it was. I mean, it was the rubber match of kind of your feud with Justin saying the night train, who's been a former guest of mine twice, an incredible talent, nice. probably hands down, one of the strongest fast like the name night train is no joke because when he no. hits you it's Absolutely like a freight not. train hitting you <laughs> bro i'm still feeling it and like my shoulder still only goes this fucking high this one goes up no problem this one's like there it goes you know what i mean like i was hit by a fucking train for real <laughs> um but honestly i i absolutely adore justin I think Justin is probably the single most underrated talent. Like, fuck Ontario. In Canada, North America, anywhere. 
how this guy hasn't been sought after and signed is beyond fucking me. That how many goddamn tournaments like show, show, uh, showing off all these indie darlings and you haven't seen fucking Justin there? Like, it's mind-blowing. It's mind-blowing. Like, kudos to the matchmaker for fucking making sure that he has talent like that here. And that, honestly, it made my decision easier to do it. To, oh, you know, like, that was one of my first questions. Like, hey, who do you want me to work with? And who do you want me to compete? And then he's just like, oh, Justin. Justin. Justin Sane. And here, there we were. I mean... I have nothing but good things to say about him. I mean, it's a styles clash on paper all the time too, right? So it's just kind of like nobody knows what to expect. And like, we just have that propensity to just kind of like put everything out there and tell a little bit of every story that we can, but do it in a way that like, it all kind of wraps up and makes sense. Like, I don't know if you've seen the first two, they're in death proof. And I mean, the first one, like I was like, I was a baby still like I was maybe two years in three years in and it was like the second round of an outdoor show and it was like fucking 45 degrees outside it was brutal but um we just kind of won it and it worked it was just this wild bloody brawl he busted me open whatever then the second time was in the rock pile and then we decided then you know, all this time we kind of like, okay, well, like, what do we do? It's like, all right. So we decided, oh, fuck, I just stabbed myself. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, that wouldn't be the first time. Would not be the first no, time. No, it wouldn't. <laughs> no, definitely not. I mean, I have a forehead full of fucking stories. Um, but it was kind of the same idea. Like, let's brawl. But, like, one thing about Justin is, like, he kind of recognizes the my love of pro wrestling in a sense and he's one to challenge me to kind of see what i could kind of do in a sense um we even had a little bit of it in the third match like when we're kind of doing some wrestling at the beginning like a little bit not a lot i mean it quickly turned into a fucking brawl like obviously but um but like he knows and like he understands and like that's the best part about him and i think that's the part that nobody ever talks about because it's kind of the taboo fourth wall to be broken but i mean like whatever everybody knows um justin is very very good when it comes to ring psychology um he doesn't just do shit he does shit with a purpose there's nothing that he does where he wastes any fucking motion um no matter what it doesn't matter if he's pre-calling it doesn't matter if he's calling it out there he does not waste fucking motion and that's the testament to how good he is because he goes that fast and he doesn't waste fucking motion. I like that. He doesn't waste motion. That means there's not a there's not a move that's not already flowing in his head. When he's doing one with you, he's thinking three or four ahead. He already knows exactly. where he wants to go next. And that's, exactly. that's a fascinating. That's a fascinating mind. And we'll get back to Justin mm-hmm. for sure a little bit later in the conversation. But let's talk. Let's talk the Bloodstained Hurricanes history. Let's talk about yeah. where we were before. Then the four mm-hmm. years than where we are now. It's kind of a okay. past, present, and you will in future. So okay. let's go to the past. Let's talk yeah. about, you talked about how great you are, your mind is with wrestling, and it is. You and I have had conversations off camera that have fascinated me to the point where I've talked to you like I've known you for years and I've only literally known you for a couple of weeks, but it's been a, mm-hmm. a budding friendship. I mean, when it comes to me, I'm very likable. I mean, it's not like Hayes. You have to really <laughs> fucking tolerate Hayes. 
in a lot Bruh, of I, I've been, I know Hayes for like 15, 20 years, my friend. I get what you mean. Holy fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Holy fuck. Yeah, it is that he is the definition, the definition fucking textbook acquired taste <laughs> <laughs> i love it hayes i know you're watching but i love the guy i honestly love the fucking guy but <laughs> of course i i love hayes too in in extremely small doses those three hours we spent together at the rock pile i had to take a break for a couple of days and then he's like can you do the godfather 50th anniversary with me it's like fuck hayes how many times do i gotta save your show how many times do i gotta come on and save schwa wars like i don't know what i gotta do here but let's talk about right. um Let's talk about you. So the mind that you have okay. for wrestling, like I said, it's it's fantastic. You go down pathways that a lot of people wouldn't see, but the end game is absolutely mind-blowing. Let's talk about your yeah. love for pro wrestling, what got you into it, and when you decided to go down this journey of becoming the Bloodstained Hurricane. All right. So my grandfather is the one that got me into it. Like my dad kind of fucked off like pretty early, which is, which is fine. Like we, honestly, we kind of reconnected later on in life and we'll kind of get into that a little bit later. But, um, I was mainly like while my mom was young, so she had to kind of finish college. She wasn't really around much because she's doing that. And she went right into nursing and shift work. So a lot of it was on my retired grandpa because my grandma still worked. Um, and he was big into like combat sports and wrestling to a point like he was a tape trader. So, at a very young age, I was exposed to so many different forms of wrestling. Like, I was watching like CMLL. I was watching AAA. I was watching fucking territory stuff. I was watching Japan. I was watching New Japan, All Japan. Like it was all there and in front of me. And to answer your question as to like how I got to the Blood State Hurricane, well, three easy letters of ECW was also in that mix from the time like before they even like had barely legal, like it wasn't on TV up here until TNN. And that was well into their fucking existence. Like the only way was via tape trading. And I was one of the few kids that actually got to see like those early, like 1995 super shitty fucking three colored rope ECW shows. You know, that's how I always kind of like put it. It's like, Oh, there's like good ECW, which is like all nice and produced and shit. And then there's like shitty ECW with like nothing matches, but it's still like the content is glorious. <laughs> and then there's really shitty. You know ECW what I mean? When WWE put their spin on it. Yeah, when they turned into a fucking razor blade and had nothing cutting edge whatsoever, the dullest <laughs> fucking logo I've ever seen. <laughs> um, but yeah, like that—that's pretty much how it got into it. Like, and it was like anything. It wasn't just wrestling. Like, my grandpa always called it shoot fighting. Because, like, again, he was, like, a wrestling mark of his time. So, like, shoot fighting. Um, like, watching Pancras and watching, like, Ken Shamrock before UFC and, like, then watching UFC 1, like, as it was happening. Because, I mean, we fucking were gangsters and stole cable. So, like, the cheater box, yo, in the 90s. Um, watching all that stuff. And I was just hooked and mesmerized. Because, like, that was the one thing I noticed is, like, I love sports. But nothing hooks a fan in an arena more than pro wrestling did or an actual fight, whether it was boxing or whether it was some kind of karate fight or whether it was Muay Thai or kickboxing. It didn't matter. There was just something about it that drew me into it. And I was fascinated and basically started studying it ever since. And that whole psychology and why. Why did two men, why did two men fight? 
Why did two men fight? Well, how do you get to that level? And that's the thing about yeah. pro wrestling that a lot of people don't understand when, yes, there are storylines behind it. Yes, absolutely. But there's a build to the storylines. And the culmination is this, I call it the dance. It's this dance without words. And yes. some storylines are built fantastic. They're built over months. Like it used to be back in the day. WWE only had four pay-per-views a year. So you had to really build for months. And then sometimes mm -hmm. a lot of those storylines ran for 10, 12, 14, 16 months. Mm -hmm. because it There's times they didn't have weekly television. Mm -hmm. Exactly. That's right. And they're it, drawing still 93,000. Exactly. And that's and that shows the impressive fortitude of this sport and the mind that is Vince McMahon, because we could say how much we love pro wrestling, but the modern day pro wrestling that North America knows would not exist without the McMahon family. Mm -hmm. So yeah, say what you want, love or love them or hate them, like them or leave them. Vince McMahon, wrestling fans owe a lot to. Yeah, there's a lot of times we bitch and complain, but that's what wrestling fans do. We feel like they're we're this glorified group of people that has the right to complain about the forum we love. Me Bro, wrestling fans are a bunch of millennials. Bunch of <laughs> fucking millennials. It I, fucking drives me nuts. I don't <laughs> complain about much. I do in my early days of podcasting, I would shit on the product because I was just that fan and I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do with this show. But now I can say that being around all the conversations that I've had and all the minds that I've talked to, there's so many more layers to it that I don't even still understand. And that's the glory of it all is that you keep learning and it's the one sport, the one form of entertainment that keeps me guessing. Even when I think I figured it out every once in a while, they'll throw a little curveball my way and I'll be like, fuck, I didn't see that coming. I'm pretty good, right. but I didn't see that coming. Right. And that, that's what's great about pro wrestling, too. It's just like you have that ability to constantly pivot. There's always pivot points like just like Roddy Piper and that fucking glorious quote of like, just when you think, you know, the answers, I change the questions. That's pro wrestling. That is the most truest fucking sentence of what pro wrestling as an industry is. And like it, it just is. It's just like. You could do that. You have that. You can't do that in the UFC. Imagine if fucking you're watching, like, I don't know, Daniel Cormier fighting fucking John Jones, and all of a sudden Brock Lesnar doesn't run in after he runs in during the fucking second round, pops in there with a fucking chain, punches Herb Dean in the head, fucking suplexes fucking Cormier 19 times, and then fucking runs out of there. Like, that would never fucking happen. <laughs> you know, anybody pro wrestling, it can. And it's almost expected. And that's what makes it kind of fun. Um, but it comes with a double-edged sword because once you start doing that, like I said, like that would never fucking happen because that's obviously fucking rigged. Um, and that's where like it, it just got overdone and then the internet happened and then it's no different than breaking the, mag the magician's code on Fox, man. Like, <laughs> um, however, that's how the business then, it didn't die and that this is the true genius of Vince McMahon really is. Rather than dying like every other fucking business would, it evolved. Yet again, it fucking evolved. He always evolves it. Even today, people could sit here and shit on wrestling all they want. The people shitting on it are people that are your age, my age, fucking 14-year-olds. People that it's not written fucking for. <laughs> and that's what's also forgotten. It's like, how could you say that this is the shittiest it's ever been? Bro, it's made record fucking money. And it's not made for you. This is no different than you going on fucking Reddit and shitting on the last episode of Blues Clues. Like, it's made for children. Like, you get like you get maybe, maybe an hour and a half, three months a year on television that's made for you, and that's it. You can bitch about it all you fucking want, but you won't because there's going to be something that's going to hook you in to make you watch WrestleMania because 
That's how this fucking shit works. Um, but that's the forgotten point. Like Vince isn't out of touch. He's fucking more in touch than anybody bitching about him. Cause look what he's doing. He's a merchandising machine. You know, they don't make money from your live shows. He doesn't care about his draw. He cares about how much shit he's shipping worldwide. <laughs> and that's, you know what? I've, I've been that fan who've been like, I've looked at those pictures. I've been like, damn, those arenas look empty. But then the same token, I'll go, I'll watch WrestleMania. And I know what's going to happen. It happens every year. I'll watch WrestleMania night one and it's boom. Buy one, get one free. Oh, well, fuck me. Fuck. I mean, fuck. Come on, man. Twenty four ninety nine, And then I get one for free or they'll do buy one, mm-hmm. get one free and you get one for a dollar. Next thing you know, I got 12 shirts coming to my house. I spent $150 and I feel for a split second, Jesse, I feel that buyer's remorse. Like, fuck, I shouldn't have spent that much money. But then the shirts come two weeks later and I'm like, yeah, I really yeah. should have. This is amazing. Right. <laughs> and you know what? Right. The shirts are a lot nicer now. They're lighter and they're not as heavy as they used to be. I remember back in the day, the Stone Cold shirt on me was fucking heavy, man. I was 14 mm-hmm. and it felt like 10. It felt like I was wearing a bulletproof vest because the material yeah. was so fucking heavy. Yeah. It wasn't thin cotton. It was just like fucking cotton. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? And that's the thing. Like everything's gotten thinner and everything else. But like, I don't know what it is. Is that mer- like, look at the wall behind you, man. Mm-hmm. That's all money. WWE fucking made off of you. Imagine a kid. Open up a kid's closet. You think you have a lot of shirts? Look at a kid wrestling fan. Mm-hmm. That fucking 15, 20, fucking 80, $100 ticket. Look how much it's really fucking worth. Absolutely. And that is the genius in Vince McMahon. And that's how I say how... You're fucking clueless if you say that man's out of touch. Look what he's doing. Is look at that fucking arena. Not only is all those people in that arena, they're all wearing his fucking brand. Wearing it multiple times on their fucking hands, on their fucking heads, on their fucking <laughs> shirts, on their fucking around the waist, on their wrists, fucking everywhere. Pulling up cardboard boxes of fake fucking cereal called bootios for fuck's sakes that they paid five bucks for. Well, how much does that cost you? Fucking four cents to make? They make all the shirts in-house. What does that cost? fucking two bucks <laughs> like you said it oh yeah great deal buy one get one for a dollar 30 bucks one dog cost them four dollars to fucking make those two shirts exactly and that's still the genius yes that is the genius of vince mcmahon if they're selling it you guaranteed guaranteed that cost is fucking nothing and he just got you he got you <laughs> that's true you're right so and this is why I was looking forward to this conversation. But let's get kind of back on the steam wall. So, yeah, sorry, I went off the rails again. No, it's, and that's okay, man. Conversations like this, organic conversations are the best kind of conversations that you can have. So your, your grandfather was a tape trader. You were mm-hmm. exposed to a lot of different forms of wrestling early on, like you mentioned, AAA, CMML, ECW, mm-hmm. the good, the bad, mm-hmm. and before it got really ugly. But we'll leave the ugly out of it because nobody cares about the ugly era. But the good and the bad, and by the bad, I mean the good. The good, the stairway, yeah. the original stairway to hell matches, the original right. kendo stick on a pole matches, the original fucking, uh, you know, the Sabu chair thing. Like, fuck, I, I one of the things I watch on ECW all the time is the uh, 50 greatest moments. And they run down yeah. to 50 and all 50 of those moments I remember seeing because much like you, I had family friends from the States that used to send me tapes all the time. And I had a very mm-hmm. like I, I called him my cousin, but he wasn't. He was like a friend through a friend of a friend, but he was like yeah. a cousin to me. And I remember one day, one summer, I got a package. My mom calls me the door. She's like, hey, you got a package from, uh, you know, uh, Johnny. I was like, okay, sweet. Yeah, fuck. I open it up. And inside the EC, ECW shirt. I'm like, what the fuck is this? And then yeah. underneath it were three tapes. And then all it said was, watch this. Call me tomorrow. So I watched all, all night. All night. I watched. It was like nine hours of ECW. 
And then when I was done, I just sat back in my room. And if I was a smoker at the time, I would have lit up a cigarette because it was that fucking good. But I sat back in my room and I remember looking at my TV and being like, this just changed everything. I I liked pro wrestling, but now (laughs) I love pro wrestling. And I called him and we talked for like two hours on the phone about everything. He's like, what do you think about that Sabu guy? And what about the dude that looks like Jean-Claude Van Damme, man? Isn't he fucking sick? And I was like, yeah, like it blew my fucking mind. Yeah. And like, you're right. Uh, As much as wrestling fans love to bitch and complain, we all remember that one moment. We all remember that moment of falling in love with it. If anybody asks Mm -hmm. me, what made you fall in love with it? I got two. One, I was at my uncle's house. I saw Jimmy Fly Snook on a bootleg tape again from Madison Square Garden. He jumped off the steel cage, much like Nick Foley. I was like, who's this guy? I got to see more. And then WrestleMania 10, Owen Hart versus Bret Hart. I can watch that match match 50,000 times. But each time I watch it, I see a different layer. I see a different angle for the story. I see the smallest thing that I didn't see the other 50,000 times I watched it before. But on 50,001, I'm like, fuck, man. I didn't realize that leg drop was there for that intent because it set up five moves ahead. It didn't set up the next move, but it set up five moves ahead. And that's mm-hmm. what made it an amazing chess match because yeah. the IQ of those two guys was off the charts, man. I don't give a fuck what anybody says. That's why I got them behind me. The Hart family, yeah. in, in my opinion, are wrestling icons. Nothing. Absolutely. Hart, Brett Owen, even the married in ones, Jim, the anvil mm-hmm. and fucking British bulldog. You can't take a goddamn thing away from the Hart family and what they've done for this business and what they've done for Canada, because they put Canada on the map before any other sports figures did. They mm-hmm. really did. They Absolutely. They did. So mm-hmm. your, your grandfather's this tape trader. You're, you're into it now. You're hooked. Line at sinker. And then you decide, okay, I don't want to watch it anymore. I want to do it. Yeah. So, okay. The story gets a little bit more wild. When I was young, maybe about 14, Clayton Sincade, he's an old indie worker. He kind of pops up once in a while. I think he showed up once at like a, what, uh, one of the Lucha fucking shows. Or maybe it was like Lucha Proof or something like that. I don't know. Um, but he's an old friend of mine. Um, he goes back with me and Hayes and Vander and all of them. Um, he started his own wrestling promotion in Oshawa. And... Um, me at 14, had no business doing it. I, like, I need a booker, man. Like, he was like, like 15. He had no business either. I'm like, okay. You know what I mean? So, like, that's when I started discovering indie wrestling. Like, locally, it was at that age. And, like, seeing guys like Ruffy and Hornet and fucking Quinston Valentino and all these fucks. Um, and it was, like, really fucking, honestly, it was really different than what it is today. It really was. It's kind of crazy. Um, the evolution of indie and its correlation to evolution of just pro wrestling, the industry, like how quick it is and how it goes almost similar and how one's honestly before the other, usually indie changes before the industry. Um, but anyway, that's a whole other conversation. Um, what the fuck was I talking about? <laughs> You're talking about being a booker. Awesome. Right. Okay. Right. So, um, yeah, he asked me to be a booker. So then we did. And we actually, like, it was Hayes and I and fucking, we started bringing in guys like Player Uno before they left fucking Quebec. Um, Green Phantom, Sexy Eddie, they're down in, uh, they're working a lot in CCW at the time before CCW went soft. Um, bringing those guys in. And 
like they're pretty successful, but I mean, when you're run by a kid, you're run by a kid at the end of the day. So everything's destined to fall over like a fucking Jenga tower. Um, so it did, but whatever. And then after that, like simultaneously, like we're a bunch of fucking hooligan kids doing our own backyard wrestling, like straight up, like we all had like three characters each all the time and fucking like I was the hardcore hobo. <laughs> like that was my thing. That's my gamer tag to this day, even for like xbox it's the hardcore hobo i'll never change it now because i changed it because it's too long so if i change it, i can never get it back so i'm always going to be the hardcore hobo anyways um and like one day it just kind of hit me it's like what the fuck am i doing like i should just be training and doing this for real like why am i doing this on a fucking mattress at the lake (laughs) and then i did and then Hayes started ring announcing and then Bander started refing. So, like, we all kind of broke in together. And I did it as a wrestling because I actually went, you mentioned the hearts. Um, I knew very young I wanted to do hardcore because at that time, again, it was a different industry. Like, yeah, I'm like six foot two now. And that's seen as pretty big boy for Andy wrestling. Back then, it wasn't. <laughs> you know, I had to stand out, it had to be different. So, like, I loved ECW, I loved hardcore. And, but, like, I understood how hardcore worked in a different kind of way. You know what I mean? Um, When I looked at Terry Funk, I never thought that man is middle-aged and crazy. Like literally they promoted and marketed. Everybody will fucking say that. Oh yeah, he's fucking nuts. Like talk to any Mark. Smart doesn't fucking matter. That guy is not middle-aged and crazy. That guy is middle-aged, knows one fucking trade and needs to extend his career another 20 years. And he went to hardcore. And there's a fucking reason before it. So, like, all this crazy shit about, like, oh, yeah, you know, I'll take fucking years. No. If you really look at it, honestly, if you really look at it, um, the bumps that you take in hardcore, yes, they're real. Yes, the barbed wire will cut you. Yes, the glass will cut you. Yes, you probably shouldn't breathe in the fucking dust. But at the end of the day, if the death match is good, if the hardcore is good and they're using the right psychology and motion, just like the Justin St. Comedy, he doesn't waste motion. If you don't waste motion and you take the time to let things happen and digest it, you're only taking maybe five, six, seven big bumps. And out of those big bumps, they're not even big bumps. You're a standard bump through something breaking your fucking fall that just might cut you. Meanwhile, you can watch in the fucking opening match, two guys go and fucking kill it. And everyone thinks that that's safer than what you did in the main event. That's better on your body than the main event. Mm-hmm. Is it? Is it? When you think about it from that kind of perspective? When you think about it from that I don't know. No. no, it's not. It's exactly. The same. And it all depends. And, and that's what it comes down to. And this is my problem. And honestly, like, I love Jim Cornette, which is funny. You would think, like, I'm a deathmatch guy. You think I'd fucking hate this guy. No, I love him. And it's because... He is 95% correct, in my opinion. Like, he is absolutely right. Outlaw, macho, wrestling, blah, 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 blah. And it's because they're wasting motion. Always. Always. Like, they're not digesting anything. They're just fucking going at it, doing dumb shit over and over and over again. I would argue in their favor, maybe. Like, people are like, oh, that's not believable that they just get up. Well, they just fucking did. What are you talking about? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it, it's not that it's not believable. It's just that they wasted so much goddamn motion. You didn't fucking digest any of it. So it was a waste of your time. It wasn't so much that it's not believable. It just wasted your fucking time. 
it didn't capture any emotion. It didn't do anything. It didn't do what pro wrestling is supposed to be. And that's why it's not pro wrestling. What is that? That's right. It's fucking garbage. But you can't look me in the eyes and tell me a fucking well thought out fucking match that make, uh, I don't know. Let's try to think of one off the top of my head. Um, uh, okay. How about Foley versus Vader from like, I don't know. I can't remember what pay-per-view it was. It might have been like Beach Blast or Bash of the Beach or something. I don't know. But either way, it was the one where they did the Texas death match. And like it was just such a well-told story the entire way through. It was brutal. It was violent. It was everything it needed to be, but they didn't waste any fucking motion. So you got to digest every fucking every punch that Foley absorbed from Vader. Every time like Foley would make Vader hit his back, even like you would absorb that. Everything up until the fit the fucked up finish with Harley racing the taser and tasering Foley. Like everything, nothing was fucking wasted. Like that's perfect to me. Um even some of the crazy brawls, like New Jack matches, like when they're doing a bunch of plunder and stuff, if you sit back and watch it, it's like the reason why it works so well is because they have so much shit and plunder. If you actually take a step back, that match is like 15, 20 fucking minutes. Mm-hmm. That's why it's not too much. It gave them time, and it all led to that one big climatic spot of usually New Jack diving off or whatever fucking nice, but you can find Um that shit you can't fake. That shit's real. That shit hurts. Like, yeah, like, there's parts to it. However, how many bumps did New Jack take before he jumped off that fucking balcony through a table on top of a guy and had something to absorb his impact? I can't. It's can't physics. Remember. It's fucking I physics. But I really can't remember how many it, bumps he took. I'd have to go back and rewatch them. <laughs> honestly, he won't count very many because he doesn't get picked up very much. He just walks around and bashes shit off people's heads. Mm-hmm. So really. If you kind of count it, I would say maybe you'll be hard pressed to find fucking less than five bumps. Sorry, more than five bumps. I would I would put it closer to one or two. More than likely. That's your homer. Go find out. Watch a new Jack Matt and see how many bumps he took when he's and dancing around and all the music. This episode premieres. Comment below and let us know. Yeah. Let us know for sure. Let us know how I'm curious. <laughs> new Jack was a very good worker. Nobody fucking understands that because they always forget about his smoking mountain run and like who the gangsters actually were growing up in that Tennessee territory being an actual character where like the gangsters could be characters. But even in Philadelphia, they're still the same fucking character, just take it a different way because Philadelphia, they're fucking gangsters. <laughs> you know what I mean? So like New Jack is smart. He was way smarter than most people ever fucking gave him credit for. They always gets kind of like, that guy's nuts. And you know what? Well, he was nuts. He's stabbing promoters and shit. But really, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not condoning it. I'm not. You shouldn't stab fucking people and be an asshole. But all you had to do is give New Jack the proper respect that of being a worker's worker. And you never would have had a fucking problem. Gypsy Joe was an idiot going into that match. Fucking no selling him. New Jack knows how to work. He's from an old school mentality. Like, are you kidding me? Go no sell somebody in fucking 1994 and see what happens to you. Like Gypsy Joe should know. Like he was wrestling in 1994, <laughs> mm-hmm. but he did it with the wrong guy because he probably didn't know New Jack. So like, oh, who the fuck's this fucking guy? You know what I mean? And that's part of how wrestling gets a bad rap. It's all of it, and it all ties back to poor, shitty, executed hardcore. Unfortunately, there's very few that do it right. Very, very few. What's your stance wow. right now on GCW and what they do? Uh, the big one or the small one? The big one. <laughs> the one with Nick Gage. Um, I'm, I'm very much a fan of it. I mean, am I a fan of the style of deathmatch? No. 
not per se. I'll be honest, which is kind of surprising because that'll be my only ticket. And I really want to work there. However, um, it doesn't make it wrong. It doesn't mean it doesn't fit because if you look at it in the grand scheme and the bigger picture of it, mm-hmm. that death match is like maybe one or two violent matches of like an 11 match fucking super card. Mm-hmm. It's ROH with a death match in the middle. What's wrong with that? Nothing by my Because side. that death match is what's cycling all over the internet, doing all the viral shit for them and bringing all the marks to them anyway. So like, again, Mr. Cornette for saying that there's no fucking place for wrestling. There's the fucking place right fucking there. Because if it wasn't for fucking Zandig fucking doing something dumb off the roof with Joey Janela, none of this wouldn't have been possible. All those early days of violence and murder, death, kill, and Nick Gage and like that whole story and the whole like violence and like this overkill of violence. Those are the clips that brought the name out there. But Brett Lauderdale is very, very smart. And this came from him being in the business for years and years and years. He's not given enough credit for it. Is he knew he had the word had enough wherewithal to watch the rise and successes of GCW. Sorry, not GCW, of the CCW in its heyday. Um, arguably pre-DJ Hyde maybe leaking into the early beginnings and DJ bought it. Um, you got to see the success and how that kind of rose. And oftentimes it wasn't the violence of CZW. It was the undercard. It's much like the story of WCW. It wasn't the old fucking WWF guys as much as it was that incredible undercard that led you to them. It's a roller coaster. And then it's a roller coaster. I mean, you could either have an amusement park full of fucking drop zones and make no money, but still have a bunch of cool rides, or you could have an amusement park full of roller coasters that are different in their own way, but it's the same fucking thing. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of like how I kind of see it. Um, and GCW, out of all the independent wrestling that's out there, because of that willingness to go to those places that people call garbage, it makes that roller coaster that much more climatic has that much more twists and turns and dynamic. It makes it actually unique from everything else as a reason of why GCW over anything else. I love it. I think it's great. What about the, um, the stigma that uh, if you're not a deathmatch worker or you're not a mm-hmm. hardcore worker, you shouldn't step in that world. Uh, for example, more, most recently would be a Matt Cardona. Not yep. really a deathmatch guy or a hardcore guy by trade, but steps in there and shocks the world. So what's your stance on that? I love it. Should, should, should the two sides always be separated or is it okay to dance every once in a while? I think they should be dancing the entire time. And part of that, I think a lot of that is honestly kindergarten fucking bullshit because for years and years and years, that was the stigma of hardcore guys. Like you don't belong in the pro wrestling locker room. You're ruining everything. Look, you're fucking making us work harder, blah, 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 blah. So really that, that whole spat back that you don't belong here is almost like a fucking kindergarten retaliation. Like, oh, like if you stand at me, I'm going to kick you in the dick. You know what I mean? That's the dick kickback. <laughs> warranted. Okay, warranted. But I mean, like, what the fuck are you proving here? Nothing. Um, and that's probably just me being 30 in my 20s. I'm like, yeah, fucking stick it to him, you know? Yeah, for hardcore. But in the grand scheme of things, it's dumb. Um... I think that more people should step over into the deathmatch world. I think more people from the deathmatch world should cross and actually go on to a family-friendly show. Like, I've been doing it for a while. 
and I've had great success with it. Like, am I the best wrestler on that show? Fuck no. Fuck no. I knew that in advance. I already knew I'm not as athletically gifted as all these other guys that are around me. Number one, like, I came in as a little guy. And number two, like, everybody got smaller. And when they're smaller, they're typically more fucking athletic, too. So, like, I'm just going on that weird thing. I'm all character. I have to be character. It's all about mannerism and what I've done and drawing from it. So, like, I don't know. I don't know. It's just wrestling strange. <laughs> it's a strange, beautiful, wonderful car crash of a world. And it has so many layers to it that a lot of people don't recognize the talent. Now, much like you said, you were fucking around with guys like Hayes and Vander Cruz, y'all broken together. And you decided that, fuck it, why am I going to just wrestle on a mattress by a lake when I'm going to go and learn the skill trade? But you always knew you wanted to do hardcore. So, By the uh, way, folks, I'm California sober. Oh, there you go. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about, you know, you trained. Um, I'm not going to be the typical podcaster host and be like, where'd you train? Who'd you train with? No, no. You trained, you were given the green light, you start working. And then what happened? You touch on that a little bit. I'll touch on the training a little bit because it's interesting because of who's behind you. I went to a lesser known school called figure four wrestling Academy. And it was Jeff cutthroat white. He used to wrestle as Darth cutthroatus and Ruffy Silverstein. Both of those guys are graduates from the Heart Dungeon. Um, Smith used to run the Heart Brothers School, and I think it used to be in Cambridge back in the day. That's where I believe Warhead spent time there, actually. Um, and then after that, I kind of closed up. He used to do a lot of guest spots. And when they filmed the Heart and Soul documentary, and they were filming kind of Smith and all of them, and they had kind of the clips of the rest in the background, that was like us at Figure Four training and shit. It was kind of cool. Um, but that's kind of where my lineage goes back to. So it's funny you mentioned the hearts. Like I kind of sought that after because I wanted to hear those original stories and like get as close to the mind of Stu Hart as I can, just because like there was something about him. He clearly knew something to make everybody stand out because those guys, if you look at them, they they weren't the biggest guys. They weren't the guys that Vince wanted to push, but they were always the guys that got the fans respect. And there's just something about that. And it's just that stampede booking. Anyway. So what was the next part of the question? Now that I just took that off the rails. <laughs> so we, talked, we touched on the training a little bit. Now you've given the yeah. green light. You start working. We already knew that yeah. hardcore was the path you were going to take. But what, mm -hmm. what happened to Jesse Amato from the time you got the green light to the time you walked away? I know it's probably a lot to unpack. But All right. there's no time. So I started. Training, so let's unpack it. I actually started working within like two months of training, believe it or not. That's when I got the green light to kind of like, you know, you could do jobs and shit. And then like, as soon as I did that, I first started as a cross dresser <laughs> named Crystal Meth, working for Stranglehold, wrestling Ricky Johnson and Bill Scullion dressed in full Confederate gear and pissed off Pete in a Confederate welder's mask dancing around with Ricky Johnson <laughs> in front of a crowd that was mainly fucking HA. <laughs> Let me tell you, that was interesting. <clears throat> um, and then Chad actually was the one that messaged me on MSN Messenger because that was the thing then. Um, 
He's like, you had a cancellation for the first Death Proof show, and this is when he was doing it in the warehouse in Hamilton. It was, like, invite-only fucking, like, pretty much a kegger from high school, from fucking high school or college. Ten bucks, get a cup, all you could drink, fucking... It was awesome. Um, but, like, he wanted to do his hardcore stuff, and he needed someone, and I took it, because, like, when we're doing hardcore, like, I was the idiot kid, like, in the backyard, fucking with the barbed wire and gigging myself, and, like, that's what I wanted to do, man. So like, it just happened to be like very early an opportunity to do it. And I rolled with it. Um, and just kind of went from there and it just kind of evolved. It just kind of like started finding my way. Like literally it kind of went from like, okay, you have this gimmick of being like this cross-dressing wrestler to now you're being Jesse F at a motto. And I didn't have a gimmick and that was kind of my gimmicks. I didn't really have one. I just showed up and like cut off dickies and whatever. And, but like, I've always had this propensity for wrestling. And that was the kind of like the oddball thing is like every time I would have a match, yeah, I'm bleeding and doing all hardcore stuff. But like, I would always want to wrestle. I always wanted to put chain wrestling into my matches and it always threw people off. Like what the fuck is up with this guy? Um, and it, it kind of works because next thing you know, I'm getting a spot on hardcore road trip. I mean, thanks to death proof, but like, Steven DeAngelis, um, he was booking that for the fucktard that fucked off. Um, he gave me Masada, and that's the, the that was the match, you no, know, the two matches that really opened the door to everything um, in London. Um, we did the two back to back, the afternoon and evening. The first one, he pitched me off the balcony through the table, which is whatever it hurt, but. It was cool. Then we did the Taipei at night. And, but like, I was just so fucked up and lost so much blood. Like Josh will tell you to this day, that was the one match where he was legitimately fucking terrified for me because he was trying to talk to me. Like, yo man, like you got to fight back. Like, what are you doing? Like, I was just out of it and just like on my feet in autopilot, but I wasn't doing anything, but standing there and just keep getting up. <laughs> Almost. I was like, what the fuck's happening here? We had this epic fucking brawl. And then that's when like Chavo and Vito and all them came out to like pretty much stop the match because that's when they all figured out, wait a minute, the promoter ducked town with all the money as this was going on and just created this like whole spiral moment. But to kind of look at the better side of things because of that match, that got me to the States because that's where Ian Rotten called me up to do King of the Death matches and I worked Traymon. And from there, I kind of gained a nice little following across the States doing the hardcore and death match because again, when I worked Traymont, I was wrestling. It was the best of seven light tube log cabins or whatever. But we told a wrestling match the entire time. Like I was like chain wrestling with them and like just doing all these different things and like working barefoot and like telling stories. And it wasn't just like the first to smash a bunch of shit. It was like this nice, as you said, the perfect dance getting to all the crescendos, like the literal fucking crescendo smash, smash, smash. Till we get to the big final one. And then, yeah, and it was great. And then I decided to start changing the gimmick a little bit because, again, like, look at me. I look like fucking Walmart fucking <laughs> Walmart hero out there. Like, I didn't even have a funny thing to say. Like, it's just ridiculous. <laughs> I'm walking around in high boots, a kick pad, barefoot, and cut off dickies and a fucking wife beater. Like, <laughs> whatever. I don't know. Um, and then, like... That was about the time when I left Death Proof the first time because me and Chad had a little bit of a disagreement and he blamed me for some shit. And I said, yeah, I'll fucking show you. And then I said, I'm done. I'm out. I'm going to do the unthinkable. I'm going to walk out of this fucking company, the company, the one company that's actually given me a chance. I'm going to prove to you and everybody else that I could fucking survive without you. 
And I did. Um, push came to shove. I worked some other pretty big shows. I got to work matches against guys like Tyson Dukes and like legitimately earned Tyson Dukes' respect because like we're doing a hardcore match that really we didn't do anything hardcore the last like five minutes, but nobody fucking realized it because of just the way that we're working and the psychology and everything else. Um, and like, that was a, just a fantastic experience. And he actually let me, wanted me to put together a lot of that match. I mean, obviously like if I said something dumb, he would step in, but like, there's maybe like one thing that he switched up and that was it. And like, it really impressed him just like the psychology and how much I thought about hardcore in a sense. Like I wasn't just like, okay, let's get a chair and fucking like, okay, here's a funny story. If you're ever on a fucking show with Tatanka, <laughs> Tatanka, I I used to always wonder when I was a kid, like how come Tatanka never was anything more than Tatanka was? Because like he was awesome, he had the gimmick, he ran around to the fucking war dance, fucking like, fucking shit, like it was awesome. But like he didn't do anything. And then I sat there backstage and I started listening to him put together matches. And all he wants to do is like whip people off the rope, chop them, and go get a chair. Doesn't fucking matter. Doesn't matter how many times you have to tell him, like no, dude, like you're gonna get disqualified your face like you tell him any fucking reason all he wants to do is go get a chair <laughs> he doesn't fucking get it <laughs> and that's when i fucking understood um but yeah um fuck where's i going with that <laughs> it's all good man we were talking about tyson dukes and how you um right you reworked how you you planned so much that match that you legitimately earned his respect because it was a hardcore match but only for the last five minutes of it yeah right so you have a lot of guys that do hardcore matches that like literally like do the tatanka they just want to get a chair that's it all they want to do is get a chair and smash things and they don't understand like it's the same shit you're just adding different fucking things it's like it's like a dance for in a movie when all of a sudden there's like explosions and shit going off and it's like the most perfect epic weird fucking commercial it's a commercialized dance that's all it is when you're doing hardcore if you're doing it right um, you're just adding different elements, different layers to smoke and different layers of mirrors. That's the beauty of it. And of course, like there's a little bit that you have to give or take. There's a sacrifice to it. If you're going to add smoke and mirrors, you got to fucking, there's an equality there somewhere. Like, someone's got to take the load somewhere. Something's got to change. Something's got to give. And in this case of the cost of the smoke and mirrors for hardcore, it's the physical toll on the body, which I was just saying earlier, it's flesh wounds. It's not that bad. So like anybody that sits there and wants to say that if you do hardcore, you don't know how to work. And honestly, it, it's hard pressed to tell them they're wrong because most cases they're right. But I would challenge them to challenge the worker before they say no. Because I think they would be surprised at that. There's a handful of workers, especially guys around here, like the Channing Decker, like Decker probably doesn't have this problem or warhead but like i had this problem for a while i bet you somebody like aiden rain might have this problem um pd skills i could see possibly having this problem but these are all guys that if you actually talk to about wrestling they get it and that's the chance and the time of day that they're just not given in the circle back to like a question about like oh wrestlers don't belong in the deathmatch ring that's the stigma that it spawns from is that deathmatch workers don't belong in their ring in their locker room and i don't know i think it's just childish all i have to say is like look at 70s memphis and shut the fuck up (laughs) 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 if you really want to fucking go fucking toe for toe with me like 
Darkware doesn't belong. Okay, explain 70s Memphis that you probably think is awesome. So suck it. <laughs> 70s Memphis. I lived and breathed off that, man. My grandfather used to watch that shit on reruns. You could get it yeah. up here on reruns on like, uh, fuck, was it the new VR at like 6 a.m.? Nice. Yeah. No way. Yeah, yeah. You could get it at That's like 6 a.m. Awesome. Yep. I remember a couple times sleeping over and he'd be downstairs fucking breaking over pistachios being like, come on, hit that fucking son of a bitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, fuck. That would have been great. So that you leave Death Proof. Great. You leave Death mm-hmm. Proof. You go on your own. You, yep. you you have some great matches. You work Tyson. Duke. I changed. Yeah, I changed the fucking character a bit. But like, not real. Okay. This is going to sound ridiculous. I didn't really change the character. All I did is I had the face mask. I said I weren't cut off dickies. I didn't cut them off anymore. I still wore dickies. <laughs> but, like, I put on a pair of combat boots underneath them, you know. Like, I wore an intentionally bloodstained shirt that was actually legit bloodstained from previous matches and stuff. And then I started walking with a purpose. Then again, back to the first comment of no wasting motion. This is about the time when I understood that. I started studying Bruce Lee, of all people. Um because I think there's a direct correlation between pro wrestling and mixed martial arts. I mean, the history shows it. Like, mixed martial arts was first in a pro wrestling rig. It's just how it is. But Bruce Lee is the godfather of the idea and concept of mixed martial arts before it even had an idea to exist in New Japan with Ali and Anoki. Um, so I went back and started, started studying uh, Bruce Lee. And like that was one of the things that he always talked about with Jeet Do is like no wasting motion because once you waste motion, you're wasting energy and you're wasting energy, you're just wasting time and time is everything, blah, 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 whatever. Bruce Lee, fucking crazy shit. But like, it makes sense. <laughs> um, and then like, that's what stuck with me is like not wasting motion. And that's when I started realizing and when I started looking at that, when I was watching pro wrestling, I started realizing that was the differentiator from the great to the good. The great never wasted a fucking piece of motion. Bret Hart never did. He was the perfect seller too to go with it. But even when he's selling and he's gasping for air, he never wasted that. I didn't start doing it for no reason. There was a reason behind it and a purpose and you felt it. When you don't waste motion, you feel everything and you digest everything. And that's what makes it from good to great or from bad to good even like if you're having a stinker and you're not wasting motion you know what people probably won't fucking notice (laughs) you know what i mean like as long as there's purpose and intent behind what you're doing and that's the essence of what it is that fucking we're supposed to be doing as pro wrestlers is sell that intent and purpose if you want to tell people that's not fake well then go out there and make it not fucking fake that that fucking simple don't bitch sale the internet fucking changes no if you have a problem with it, fucking change it. That's the challenge. Go do it. <laughs> That's what I do every single match. I have a problem with people saying pro wrestling fake. I'm going to do things that you're going to say that there's no fucking way you could fake that. And some other wrestler is going to have a problem with me saying like, oh, well, because you did that. Like everything I do is not all that believable. Actually, what I just did, if you actually took two seconds to think about it, because I did that, they're now second guessing everything else that they're about to see real or fake or otherwise. Second guess it. You have that fucking suspension and disbelief for that moment. And when you have that, you have them hooked. As soon as they go, I don't know if that's real or fake. That's exactly the fucking selling point and the driving factor and the fucking coal that goes into this engine. Is that fucking never fucking knowing. That's what's always fucking driven it at its core. People didn't know. You always had the group that fucking doubters. And then eventually over time, the doubters outgrew the people, the, the believers. 
it's kind of like religion. It's the same fucking shit. <laughs> I'm on the doubting side of religion. Wrestling, I live and breathe for. Religion? I'm right. <laughs> right. But eventually in religion or wrestling, you don't have people believing in the promotion anymore. You don't have people believing in the book. You don't have people believing in what the fuck you're putting out. And then it goes away because what the fuck do you need it for? It's useless. Um, and again, circling back, that's the testament really to truly to Vince McMahon and what the true test for Tony Tan is going to be going forward. I mean, TNA is great for 10 years too. This is what year three. Let's see what happens. I don't know. I mean, one of their executive vice presidents just fucking jumped ship to WWE. Like, it's kind of a big fucking deal. You know, considering everyone's like, oh my God, Cody Rhodes. Like, when this thing started, everyone said this is Cody's product. And now Cody's going back to WWE. <laughs> what the fuck's really going on there? I don't know. It's a question. It's a question. That's worth answering. I'm not saying one thing bad or another. I'm just saying, how much do we really know Marks and Smarks? I'm one of you. I don't fucking know. I don't have the answers. I don't work for them. But... <laughs> Just casting that little bit of doubt, making you fucking suspend that disbelief. What do you really know? I don't know. What we know is that a lot of people are going to be turning into WrestleMania night one and night two just to figure out who the fuck it is. Everybody knows who it is, but when he comes out, it's not going to change the reaction. The reaction is going to be just as loud. Right. I mean, like, what if it's the biggest swerve of all time? What if it's somebody that just gets booed out of the building? It's like, oh, what the fuck? What if it's, like, fucking Marco Stunt? <laughs> what if it's Gilbert? I would all... Oh my God, that'd be amazing. It'll be even funnier if they actually got somebody else. Like, or like, what if it's something that nobody sees coming and it's Jericho? Because Jericho's the type of guy that could obviously kind of do whatever he wants. Who knows? You know what I mean? Like, what a swerve that would be. That would be a great swerve. That would be a great swerve. You know what I mean? Like, like that's kind of the funny part about people that bitch about WWE. It's kind of like. This is a company that operates on surprise. So when you sit there on the internet and tell everybody what you want, it's no longer a surprise. They're probably not going to do it. <laughs> Think about it. <laughs> like, and then the people always forget too, like WWE, like, yeah, of course we're going to hate it. Like we've been conditioned to do it since we were children, the evil McMahon empire. Oh, fuck you. We're going to hate everything that they ever put forward. It's... <laughs> But they got us. They got us because we're sitting here talking about it. We're talking about it. <laughs> and that's that's the end game. That uh, that's entertainment. Exactly. As long as you're talking about it, whether it's negative or positive, the fact is you're talking about it. Just like you go out of that curtain, you either get a negative reaction or a positive reaction. doesn't matter. As long as you're getting a reaction. Because that's mm-hmm. what you want. You want that reaction. You need that yeah. reaction. That reaction is that natural high that can't compete with anything else. Mm-hmm. So you, Absolutely. You, you move forward, you leave death proof the first time around, you go out on your own, you carve out your own kind of destiny, destiny, if you will, you carve out your own stepping stone, you make it take shape. When do we go back to death proof? When do we go home? How does that relationship rekindle? And that, also, was this around the time where the drinking got out of control? It was drinking, it was sniffables, it was, it was a lot of things. And a lot of people miscredited it saying that it's because of the hardcore, you know, that's what let me know it wasn't. My drug of choice, honestly, contrary to popular belief and everything that I've heard was ketamine because it's disassociative because I was not happy with things that happened in my life for most of my life. I wasn't happy that I was living my dream and I had no member of my family ever come to see it no matter how good things were because they always thought otherwise they thought that my addictions were because of that. And like, dude, like 
before all that. Like, what are you talking about? Like, it has nothing to do with that. My addictions are because of you, you stupid fucking idiots. Um, but that doesn't make it right either. It's just, it was just a big combination of just a lot of bad in my life. And I'll be the first one and only people that have been in my shoes. And I don't mean that, like, I own them. I mean, like, any person that's gone through addiction in general will tell you that drugs are nothing more than a rational solution to an irrational situation Uh, at the end of the day typically that's the ultimate driving factor when you break it down there's something irrational in their life that they can't find a way to rationalize it so they turn to something like drugs where it flips your entire fucking psychology it's not you it's the real thing that's not you when you're in those fucking stages like it's just not and it takes somebody that's unfortunately been there and the hard part about that whole idea and topic is is you would never wish somebody after being there to want to understand i would almost prefer people not to get it and try to explain it to them but again i could sit here and tell you all day they're blue in the face unless you're somebody that's faced it and faced the problem then you truly understand what those words truly mean that it's a rational solution to an irrational situation and like i just have an understanding for it um i'm not saying that i deserve understanding back i don't i don't deserve anything people are entitled to their opinions no matter what actions have consequences that is the fucking consequence i'm my consequences i have to be accept whatever consequence you want to give to me for that um whether you want to hate me forever whether you want to forgive me whether you want to just pretend nothing never happened or pretend i don't exist doesn't matter. Maybe you want to punch me in the face. I don't fucking care. Um, if it's warranted and you feel that way, do it. Just like anything else in life. You know what I mean? Like, for whatever reason, Will Smith thought the need to slap Chris Rock. Whatever. is what it is. Actions have consequences. For whatever reason, that was his consequence. Doesn't make it right. Doesn't make it wrong. It's just actions have consequences. That's all it is. Um, and that's kind of where I'm at in that stage. So, like... That's been happening. The drug problem has been in and out for most of my life from teenager to adult um, up until I walked away, which is honestly about, I would say, three, four weeks after I walked away from wrestling and didn't show up to those fateful two shows that got me blackballed. Um, I was in and out doing drugs. Um, for most of my second run of death proof, I was actually sober. Um, I was fresh out of my previous relationship um, and just trying to turn things around. And I met Jen and took on her son, who's not my stepkid. Like I just call him my kid. Um, I met him when he was seven. He's like 14 now. I'm turning 14. Um, and then like, that was kind of like when I had to start setting things in motion. And then what ended up happening was towards the tail end of that. So like, I was very upset. There was things not very right. There's a lot emotionally wrong. A lot of damage has been done that I was covering with the drug use. And that was the side effect that I didn't see coming. Um, was sure I'm off the drugs. Yes, I'm sobering up. But you know what? I was doing that to cover up the irrational situation that this rational situation manifests and manifests and manifests and manifests in weird ways. Like if you look at my body from the moment I came back to death proof versus warhead to my last match I had, and actually it would have been that for um, 
whatever Pierre's was, no limits. Um, I went from being 230 pounds to 170. Damn. And it wasn't because of drug use. It's just, I wasn't eating. I couldn't, I had no appetite. Like I was just rapidly losing weight because there was something wrong and I didn't fucking know what. Um, I think part of it is withdrawals. I think part of it is just that mental state because I didn't properly deal with anything. I just covered it up for so long and put a bandaid on a bullet wound and just in a mental climb. But imagine doing that for like fucking 15 years and then you rip it off suddenly for two years. That's a lot of fucking bad that's willing to happen. Then it goes untreated. So like I was basing, I set myself up for failure at the end of the day is what happened. And that is the unfortunate effect of drugs that a lot of people don't realize until it's too late and they've burnt all the bridges and they've ruined all the fucking relationships and they've literally destroyed everything around them, but their own existence. But like, it was almost in that moment when I did do that and destroyed everything in existence. That's when I like had this weird epiphany where like, okay, I finally lost everything. I lost like pro wrestling as we've been talking about this whole time is my first love. I love pro wrestling more than anything else. Except maybe my kids, and the fact I said that I should tell you everything, except maybe my kids, maybe, maybe was in that statement. That's how big wrestling is. Um, I lost that because of a decision of not showing up. And it wasn't because I took any money and did drugs and nothing to do with that. That was just a wild, crazy story that kind of went out. Um, that envelope sat in my bag for over two years before I fucking e-transferred Chad and said, I can't have this sitting on me anymore. And the issue honestly was the honest to God issue is I messaged Sean like maybe a month after I sweated it out because I just like said, fuck it, I have to lock myself in, get off of this shit. Nothing. Like I wasn't even on social media, nothing. And then then finally I messaged Sean like, hey man, like sorry, like I want to like meet you face to face. Like, man, I didn't know he was off of social media at that point. So that message went unread. And because I was being me, I'm not one to air dirty laundry. I'm not one to fire back. I was in the wrong. What am I going to fucking say publicly? Nothing. I have nothing to say. I just waited and just waited and waited and waited and waited until I had the opportunity to make things right. And two years ago, that's when I messaged Chad and said, you know, here, he's like, oh, fuck, you know, at that time, he's like, oh, it's funny. I just messaged a show and uh, I'll show and now you're sending me the money back. Like, dude, it has nothing to do with the booking. It's everything to do with like the messages that went unread. Here you go. And but still the damages done actions of the consequences. And like two years later, we're sharing a locker room again. And like it's the rock pile. Like that meant the fucking world to me, man. You have no idea. Like, even Chad, I don't think, knows. Well, he probably does because tell him enough, but he's the type of person that's like very modest. Um he's a big, large part of my life. And everything from death proof and the chances that he's given me and the lessons he's taught me and like coming back to like book me for the first time and not wanting me to do the stupid games, just be yourself. And that's what I did. And ironically that character transformation, as we talked about, that was literally the transformation inside of me trying to express myself looking back in hindsight. That's what that kind of shows me is I think that was my way of, reaching out to anybody that would figure out but because of my piss poor communication nobody picked up on it um and then that's just kind of how it is but like at the same time what do i regret anything no i don't because at the end of the day i'm sitting here talking to you right now man 
I have two great kids upstairs. Well, one lives in Florida, one's upstairs. Um, I have an awesome wife. I have a roof over my head. I have a great fucking job. I couldn't be happier. So how could I regret anything? And at the end of the day, even though I went through a lot of fucking shit for most of my life, I learned a lot of fucking shit. And for the two things that matter more than anything else in my life, I would rather that I've gone through that shit to be able to tell them and be able to recognize and help them through almost fucking anything and just be living proof that you can overcome. Because you know what? Nobody really does what I do. Look at it, especially in this industry. How many people have drug problems? And like that's going to be my biggest fear, my biggest detract going on. Everyone's going to think, what if, what if, what if, what if? And it's very fucking true. But I know for a fact there is no what if because I work on myself every fucking day. I have a family that supports me. I have great friends like Hayes is a fucking douchebag and all, but like I could call him up at fucking two o'clock in the morning and I guarantee he'll be at my front door at three. Aaron fucking T. Same with Josh. He fucking moved a block away from me in Coburg. Like I moved in the middle of nowhere to get away from any of that life. You know what I mean? Like I knew nobody here now slowly. Josh moved here, which is great. It's awesome. Um, but like... And that's what it's all about. And like when I finally lost everything and I lost wrestling and I lost at the time, like just my sanity and my family and my friends. And so I felt like that's when I realized I was free because I had nothing tying me down. I had nothing that could literally turn me any which way because it was all gone. And then I had a choice. I could either bitch about it, blame people and do things that, you keep going the way that things were going until the point that I would fucking die, which is where I was headed. Or I could accept that freedom as a new opportunity as a blank canvas, a very rare moment that you have in this life. Mm-hmm. And I took the blank canvas route because at that point I have nothing. Like I was free. There's nothing there. It's up to me to rebuild the relationships that are worth it. If they're worth it to me. I'll rebuild and I'll fight and I'll keep fighting to this day. Um, I was able to make different choices. I was able to go back to the fucking drawing board and analyze from a clear perspective with no, what's the word for it? I don't know, nothing tugging at the thoughts and just like literally digesting it in its purest form and then seek help on top of that after doing that and have a professional do that. That's been everything and huge understanding where the addiction comes from. That's why I could sit here and tell you it wasn't the wrestling. Everybody's wrong on that. I wasn't doing drugs because I was hurting. If I was, I'd be doing opiates. I never did fucking opiates, idiots. <laughs> um, I, In order to overcome, you just had to heal what was broken. And what was broken slowly got healed over that, those ne- these next four years. And like I said, when I walked away, I made a promise that I'll never come back unless I knew 100% without a fucking doubt that I wouldn't go back to the way things were. And it's not because of the pain, because that's not what scares me. It's just, I don't know, if you've been to the darkness, you're terrified of it for the rest of your life. You, you know what's there, you know what's lurking, you, you know what's possible, you know the art of the possible. And that art of the possible works both ways, whether it's watching ECW and realizing, hey, there's a chance for me in pro wrestling. Look at this. They're kind of smaller, but they're fucking cool. I want to do that. Or the art of the possible of what happens when things go really dark. What do you do? Where do you turn to? Where do you go? People make wrong decisions. Unfortunately, more people make wrong decisions than they make right decisions. Just how it is. Um, But 
it's just a whole different outlook and lease on life. I realized somewhere in losing everything that it wasn't death that I was seeking. I was seeking a new start. I was seeking a new beginning. And I actually somehow, some way, in a twisted fucking way, in a way that I would never fucking tell anyone to go about doing this, but I found a way to get it. A legitimate way to fucking get it because it doesn't get any more blank than that. I lost fucking everything, so it was finally free. You know what? It's funny because you mentioned once you lost everything, you were free. It was like an epiphany, an awakening, if you will, like that that moment of clarity. And I myself experienced one of those not long ago, two years ago. Mm-hmm. I was really angry all the time. It's taking my anger out of my wife and my kids, not physically, not mentally, yeah. but I was, I was just, I was distant. Yeah. I was erratic. I was, yeah. my wife would say, pass assault. What do you mean pass assault? Like I was just, I would explode at the stupidest shit. Yeah. And so yeah. One Get day, it yourself. Yeah. My wife sat me down and uh, she said to me, if you don't get this in check, we're gone. And then the fear of losing the only person who ever loved me woke me up. And the fear of not seeing my children yeah. scared the shit out of me. So I went mm-hmm. and I, I sought help for the first time. And like you said, man, there's a lot of pain, a lot of shit that was buried deep that I never recognized, never sought out. I figured, you know what? I could just do things my own way and I'll be fine. Yeah. My way wasn't working. I never, never turned to drugs or never turned to anything like that, but I would just numb the pain in other ways. I would be the type of person that I would lose my cool on her. And the next day she'd have a gift on the bed because I was trying to make up for what I'd done the night before. And it never, yeah. and it became that, that struggle. And then uh, I sought help. I got my head right. And I feel like the last two years, two and a half years, has been the best mm-hmm. version of me. I still have my challenging days. I still have of my course. days where I'm You like, always will. That's like, being human, brother. Yeah, man. You want to wake That's up. That's just being human. Yeah, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you're like, fuck, today's not a good day. But yeah. through all the shit days, there's a lot of great days. And those great days are what keeps me going. And one of those great days is something like this, sitting down, talking to someone who's been down that corridor. Like you said, the darkness scares the fuck out of me. I don't ever want to go to that. Because when I, when I saw mm-hmm. red, I don't remember what yeah. happened. There's no off switch. It's gone. Yeah, there were fight. There were times where I would see Red get into a fight, and then I would completely forget what the fuck happened. I and I'd literally snap back into reality in the back of a cop car. No idea what the yeah. fuck was. Yeah, and like that's no way to live, especially when there's actually a way out of it. You just have to accept and find it, like you and I both did. Um, and that's really what it comes down to: is just nobody's alone. Nobody needs to suffer in silence. And it's when you suffer in silence, you make piss poor decisions. Absolutely. That's, that's the best way to put it. Now, here's a, here's a question. Uh, you step away. Everything's right. Everything's good. Matchmaker calls. You decide that now's the time. Was there doubt? Mm-hmm. That little voice in the back of your head creeping up like, fuck, can I do this? Will I be welcomed back? Will I still be the same person that they remember, not the new person I am now? Absolutely. Um, I had conversations with Josh every single day leading up to it. Um, I even took two smaller bookings leading up to it in GCW, um, GCW uh, New School in Oshawa, just to kind of see, like, I was working with Rip for a while. I went to go see Rip probably, I'd say back in August. I messaged him, you know, kicked his tires about doing stuff like, 
privately after his classes and stuff because like i don't know i didn't want to make a big deal out of it i didn't want people see anything you know like just really see if like this is something i could possibly do i mean like injuries also were took their toll as well and i didn't realize that until i stepped away for so long and all of a sudden i started feeling better like who like that that's a real thought too like i could kind of move again easier you know i have less days where i'm hunched over like this is kind of nice you know what i mean so then but then when it came down to it like well i'm gonna have to like again i have a blank slate let's switch it up let's go see rip somebody that will be able to understand like he's at that stage of his career too probably where he's probably starting to feel it in his joints he's been doing this for 20 fucking years can't tell me he's not what better person to show me different ways to move different ways to go about things and like he was somebody that I, he was the first guy because again the stigma of hardcore and deathmatch not a lot of guys want to help me out rip impact was one of the few that was always willing to help me out he's the first guy i ever set my match to to get feedback and break down and to this day i still do moves that just because ripping back told me i'm fucking day fucking three keep doing that <laughs> true story i believe it um <coughs> <coughs> so <coughs> sorry <coughs> so um yeah i started doing that and then uh it kind of got to a point where it's just kind of like, will they even remember me? I mean, like it's been four fucking years. Um, I even talked to Chad about it going into it. Like I'm probably gonna get fucking booed out of the building. He's like, you'd be surprised. Like, are you sure? Like, I'm pretty sure you'd probably boo me if you were a fan. It's like, mm, you'd be surprised. I'm like, all right. Um, and then like, sure enough, like that, I had my handful. I mean, like it was definitely fighter for Justin. Absolutely. And like, that was expected in a sense. He's been the consistent one. No, I would say probably half the building didn't know who the fuck I was, which is cool. I mean, that's exciting to me. Like now, I, now that's another blank canvas. I get to show you now from my perspective. And like, I've already heard that feedback, like uh, Justin Gilmette, he messaged me and he was just like, yeah, I was telling my friend about you. And they're like, oh yeah, that guy's fucking cool looking. He's like, yeah, like, but you haven't seen anything yet. Like, wait till he actually does this thing. Wait till this thing starts progressing over time. And honestly, he's absolutely right. Cause that's exactly what I live for. And that's the story that I'm looking forward to tell. Cause like, sure. Okay, cool. Like I'm back. I'm sober. Everyone knows. Great. What I'm more looking forward to is like, what can I accomplish with, this mind that I have now that's not bogged down by stupid shit, that's not weighted down by just negativity and fucking past decisions. And just at a point now where like, okay, cool. If you have something to say to me, say it to me. I don't fucking care. As long as you could say that you're fucking done when you're done saying it. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'll give you your fucking 10 minutes to fucking say whatever the fuck you want to me. And I'll listen attentively. And you know what? I'll even recite it back to you to prove to you that I was listening to you as long as you could fucking put it to rest because like at the end of the day, life's too fucking short. If there's a problem, let's work out a solution. And there's not fucking any solution on this fucking world that I can't work out. I mean, I figured out my life. That's a pretty fucking big disastrous problem. And I figured it out. There's nothing. There's no, there's no problem that I can't solve. What was Jen's reaction? What was your, your 14 year old son's reaction when you said, guys, I'm thinking about stepping back in the ring. I'm thinking about doing this. And, and mind you, when you had met your, your son, he was seven and now he's 14. Yeah. So he's never seen you in a ring. He's seen me once. He's seen me once at a Dr. Mass show for a club. He's seen me once. 
And like Jen and Vince, they come from a family that's like very proper. So like wrestling wasn't allowed ever. So like Jen's first time seeing wrestling was seeing me perform and work in Rip Impact where I promised her, I'm not bleeding. I'm working Rip. It's going to be fine. I accidentally eat a fucking elbow in the eyebrow and fucking hard way. <laughs> so she's like, great, great. He fucking yeah. said he wasn't going to bleed. And now he's fucking. Yeah. This guy is like, I can never trust him anymore. Like he's even going to fucking work me. Like this work thing that he talks about work, work, work. Like she had to learn the lingo and shit. But um, when I first told them, like they were honestly excited because they knew how much wrestling meant to me. And they'd seen how much it hurt me to not do it anymore. Um, they've seen me struggle, like Raw, SmackDown, AEW, whatever it is, at all PVRs. And like, even when I walked away from wrestling, it took me like a solid year before I even turned wrestling on the television again, because it just hurt. So they got to see me slowly hit play again. And that's when they, honestly, they knew at that point, like that it was coming. And honestly, it probably would have came sooner until COVID hit. Mm-hmm. And COVID with like the new baby coming, like, it is kind of one of those things, but like, again, like I don't regret it. I wouldn't change it because that was perfect. That gave me time to actually process even further to go see Rip and start talking about this and get even more fucking into it. Um, and just building up and like during COVID, building out these relationships again, like coming out from underneath my rock, reaching out and talking to Chad. Hey, how's it going? How's life? You know, and now we talk every couple of days, like it is what it is. You know what I mean? Um, you and Sean work things out. Sean passed away, unfortunately. Okay. Um, and that's kind of the whole hardship behind everything. Um, and honestly, that if there is a regret, that's my biggest regret is not being able to have that talk with Sean. However, from people that I have talked to they've all said that like you know don't worry about it you know like he, if anyone believed in second chances it was him but I mean it, it still bothers me it's still always gonna bother me but Sean was a good guy he was a good friend um just shit happens to good people sometimes you know like tumors in the brain you can't fucking help that shit unfortunately and like I had a lot of guilt with that too because it's just like I was the piece of shit you were the fucking good father. Like, why, why not me? You know, like it was a very real thing. Um, but over time and just going through the things that I have and fighting to get to this point, a lot of it also kind of came to like make good on that unread message to Sean, you know, like I'm going to get over this. I'm going to get better. I did this to get sober that's why I didn't show up because I was no longer able to safely show up to wrestle. I couldn't do this sober anymore. I had to, I just had to, because it was this or death that that was what was coming. Like I said, like I lost like 50, 60 pounds. Like that's the next fucking step. Shit's about to start failing soon. You know what I mean? Like it got that bad very, very quick after my grandmother died. And again, it was much of the same fucking thing where like, when I went back to death proof and I started doing that again, my family sat me down fucking assholes and they're just kind of like, okay, well it's wrestling or us it's wrestling or us. Like, how could you make me choose that? That's fucked. Like, do you even know how, like how much I've worked and how hard I do? And like, you don't even understand. You don't even talk to me. You don't need to give me 10 minutes to explain to you how I pull this off. 
but you're going to tell me how the fuck I feel. Fuck you. So I walked away from them and my grandmother passed away suddenly and nobody told me that she was in the hospital until like it happened quickly. Mind you, like she's in the hospital dead the next day. But that was my reconnecting with my family was at her fucking funeral, which is fucking weird. And that's where I found out that my mom had stage four fucking cancer and that she was terminal. And then, oh, shit, let's start rebuilding this relationship a little bit, or at least not rebuilding it, but repairing it to a point that not only can I get peace for the rest of my life, that my mom could pass with peace, too, because I'm sure she had her own fucking fears and resentments and stuff, too. Because, like, she didn't realize that when I moved out here with Jen, she thought, just like everybody else, I'm out here gallivanting new fucking drugs again. No, I was out here to get fucking sober. And if that bitch would have fucking, you know what I'll say? That, that fucking bitch, I love you, um, would have just picked up the phone and called me, just like anybody else. They could have fucking known the truth. I'm an open book. This shit that I'm doing right now, this never changed. Not a any point in my time, anybody could fucking pick me up and ask me, well, like, yeah, I'm fucking drugs. I don't fucking care. I'll tell you. Or just like, if I'm not, I'll tell you. And you'll be able to tell, like, there's one telltale sign. This is what I tell all my friends too. Is like, once you notice that I'm not signing on to Xbox, that's when you got to start fucking wondering. Like if it's been like two weeks, three weeks, odds are, yeah, you're probably right. But I haven't had a problem since. So, hey, here we are. And like I said, a lot of that comes down to like, even though he never read that message, if I go back to it, it'll make me a liar. It'll mean that I'm full of shit. And that message doesn't fucking mean anything. But as long as it stays sober, that message is true. And as long as that message stays true, no matter what afterlife there is, I have a feeling that he knows. And that's how I sleep at night. He absolutely does. I know he does. Believe me. He's looking down right now. Like he said, nobody believed in second chances more than he did. And he knows that. And he knows that. And I didn't, I didn't know that he passed away. So the, like I said, I went into this whole conversation <laughs> and my reactions mm-hmm. were the way they were. And uh, you know what? Trust me, believe yeah. me, he's listening. He is listening and he's got a big smile on his face. I hope so. He was a good I'm dude. Let you go enjoy your evening. But when you walk through that curtain, you walk yeah. through that curtain first time four years and you got that reaction and you looked and you saw Justin Sane waiting in that ring. What, what was going through your mind? Were you like, I'm home? Like, this is, this is great. Or was it like, a, okay, take it slow to check the beats. And here we go. <laughs> it was kind of like, I remember taking a second and just kind of like trying to gauge. Cause again, like I was going there, like worried, like what if somebody wants to fucking kill me? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's, it's a fair fucking thought, but I mean, like I, it was all right. Um, I honestly don't know what was going through my head. Just like, I think it was just so much. Um, I remember distinctly trying not to cry and looking like a big bitch. (laughs) Um, and I think I was successful. I mean, I had that earlier in the night when I realized where I was and what was happening. And I just put together a match with Justin again after like, again, that was like nine years later from that. And that, like, I think it was just, like, that moment, like, wow, like, I did it, you know? Like, I think it was more so a relief. Um, it was a giant, like, exhale moment, like, wow, I did this. Like, you would have tossed me, like, even a year ago, I was at your fucking nuts, let alone three years ago. 
even fucking five years ago. I'm like, you're fucking nuts. I won't be alive. <laughs> you know what I mean? But you are. So like, it, it was a relief. It, it, it was just like, I did it. I fucking did it. Here's my proof. I did it. I'm standing here. All this shit has happened. All those people that I pissed off and fucked over, whatever, however you want to look at it, it doesn't fucking matter. At the end of the day, I followed them on the same card and everything was fine until the end. I'm sure we'll get there next. That actually is the next question. So you finished the match with Justin. It was a barn burner and I was honored to call it. It was a great, I was honored to be the narrator for that story and it was epic. But then that moment of adulation, nine years later, you're back in the ring with Justin Sane and uh, out walks Tyler Hill, uninvited that we know of. I mean, the matchmaker hasn't made any comment or any pub- public statement since then. But Tyler Hill walks out, tells you, I thought I told you never to step back in my fucking ring, in my fucking world. And he ends up just laying India for a good two minutes before you you got back up. That shot of adrenaline came through and you two went back and forth before you were separated by the entire roster. The entire yeah. roster. I want to make that clear, ladies and gentlemen. If you go to Twitch, you watch New Frontier, the entire locker room had to come out to separate both men because it was gonna it was gonna come down to an all-out bar clearing brawl. Some of the fans yeah, someone, someone's going to jail. Yeah, someone's exactly. going to jail and the promotion was gonna fucking be in the toilet or something. That didn't happen. Like, let's be real. Um I I'm still waiting for answers. I don't know if it was a work. I could definitely tell you that I feel it. <laughs> My jaw hurts. I mean, air. Um, and I could tell you that he definitely has reason. Actions have consequences. Is that my consequence? I don't know. Um, what I don't like is that motherfucker was sitting there the whole day. We've made eye contact earlier in the day. Why didn't he say it then? Why did he have to make a big fucking deal about it? I don't fucking understand that part. Maybe, maybe that's the point. Maybe, maybe, maybe he's got a complex. Maybe, I don't know. I really don't know. People do strange things in this business. New Jack stabs people for fuck's sakes. Remember? Um, Perry Saturn shoots on people because he thinks that he makes them look bad, but he doesn't care that he's walking around and dressed with a mop. Like, shit doesn't make sense in this fucking world. I honestly don't know. I messaged the email that I have for the matchmaker and asked, like, what the fuck was up with that? Is that you? Is that you're doing? Like, he was obviously in the building ahead of time. Like, fill me in. And he's just like, we'll talk about it soon. We'll talk about it soon. I'm like, okay, well, whatever. At the end of the day, I hope, I sincerely hope this is an attempt at blurring lines. Um, I hope that I get a message from Tyler Hill or a response from him even saying, hey, man, sorry, I had to lay into you. I was told to do that. You know what happens? You know, you see angles like that happen all the time in wrestling. But the more that time goes on, the more I'm starting to kind of like, okay, what the fuck's going on? You know what I mean? Like, what what was that? And then I guess we'll find out when I get my next match. I mean, in a way, hopefully it's Tyler Hill. It really is. Hopefully it's Tyler Hill. That That would make me have a little bit more at ease. You know what I mean? But 
at the same time, I can't really be mad at it. I can't be like, fuck you for doing that asshole. You know what? Sean was his best friend. I get it. I get it. But again, like I said, like, I get it, but it's been long enough. It's at a point now where it's just apples to apples, oranges to oranges. And again, like from people I've talked to close to Sean, everything would have been cool. But no one really knows what's up with fucking hell. No one really does, to be honest. So, like... Yeah, I even asked Matt, like, he plays at Xbox with him. Like, fuck, I haven't really fucking played with him all that much. And when I did, I just said, don't want to talk about it. Don't want to talk about it. It's being a prick. So, like, I don't know. I hope so. Like I said, I'll feel a lot better if I see his name next to mine on the match sheet in the coming weeks. Because I'll be like, okay, like, maybe he's here to do business. If he's here to do business, we could do really fucking good business. But if he's here to fuck around, well, <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. I got a family, man. Do you think the matchmaker is someone that you may have not made a resolution with? Could it be someone from your past that you haven't really made amends with? I mean, I'm sure that's creeped (laughs) into your head. It has to have. It has to have. Yeah, but I can't figure out who it would be. I mean, I I just don't know. Like, I think I've pretty well had at least that conversation with everybody. The only person I have on this hill. Um. We had plans to, I'll say that. I just never kind of got to it. But here we are. Um, actually, a kind of funny note about Hill, too. I was actually his first death match. Um, I went down to one of, during that time of uh, leaving uh, Death Proof. One thing I wanted to do is I wanted to work with Sean and Hill, specifically because I've seen them both as being rising stars and hardcore, and there's not a lot of us. Um, and kind of teach them that psychology and I went on my way to go down and do that so it was actually his first death match um but yeah I I I just don't know I don't know I don't know if that's enough to kind of get his respect and that maybe this is a word like I, I just don't know I wish I could tell you I wish I could tell you I just can't well, I'm sure we're going to find out as May 1st creeps around the corner, the next show or the next part of the Odyssey is taking place. I've already been given some few instructions by the matchmaker, some I can't lay out right now. But all I do know is that uh, there will be another Mark Assbuster challenge. Uh, mm-hmm. and we'll, I saw that. That's fucking awesome. Yeah, Lufisto is coming to answer the challenge, so that'll be interesting. Bruh, and, I'm going to uh, be Mark Assbuster in the crowd for that one, for real, or at least peep in the curtain. Like, that's fucking lit. That's going to be a good one. Tarek versus Lufisto for sure. And we do know that uh, that everyone that was on the first part of the Odyssey will be taking place on the second, just as to who will be facing who and who will be doing what, yet to be determined. But Matchmaker, if you're watching and if you're listening, like I know you watched and listened to the review show, the Bloodstained Hurricane has one request. Tyler Hill. Will you answer? We'll find out. Jesse, this has been an amazing conversation, a great expose into the mind. The psychology is fantastic. A story of redemption, the ultimate setback, the ultimate comeback. And I got to say, I'm proud to say now, I've only known you for a few weeks, but Jesse Amato is one of my good friends. And as a friend and a member of the Straight Talk family, you're always welcome back. So Awesome. You, uh, Anytime, man. Anytime. Why don't you go ahead and shout out, if there are any socials that you want to shout out for people to follow the journey that is Jesse Amato. Go ahead. If not, I'll shout out mine and we'll say our goodbyes. 
Um, I don't know. I guess you can find me on Facebook. I'm not that hard to find. Jesse Amato, same thing. It's all my same account. I think I'm on Twitter. I don't know. I don't really use it. Um, but yeah, I guess you know what? Follow GCW New School because I work for them a lot. And I guess New Frontier. Why not? New Frontier Pro. That's right, guys. Tickets and information will be going on sale soon. It's taking place in Pickering May 1st. And it'll be a it'll be a nice weather. Hopefully, hopefully here, because fuck, this weather's been all up and down. I don't know what it is. Minus right. minus ten Fucking on Monday, balls. plus fifteen on Thursday. I don't know what's happening. But as always, guys, you know the socials. The links are in the the links are in the description below. Peace, love, and wrestling. We'll see you next time. Don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Peace. Yeah, that one. Maybe that one. Here. It's <laughs> somewhere there. <Yeah>. Edit it. <laughs> Peace out, guys. Sorry, dude. Thank you so much for listening. Don't forget to tune in next week for another great episode on all available podcast platforms and hosted on Podbean. Also, check us out on YouTube at Straight Talk Wrestling, on Instagram at Straight Talk Wrestling, on Facebook at Straight Talk Wrestling, and on Twitter at underscore Straight Talk. And if you feel the need to buy some sweet merch, check us out on ProWrestlingTees.com. Leaving the scene with no trace. None in my lead. You out of place. I'm not at the top. I'm out of space. Can't eat with us. We're out of place. I'm doing fine. I'm feeling great. You're not my fan. You can't relate. Straight talk going state to state.